Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. As always, I want to thank you, Immigrant Nation, for your continued support. Speaking of support, please hit the subscribe follow button to subscribe to our podcast. You're there already. You're already listening. Just hit that button and make us happy by showing your support. Lastly, if you or someone you know wants to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to our social media accounts at an immigrant's life or email me at an immigrant's life at yahoo.com. Let's connect and let's tell your beautiful story. That is that. Now, let's talk about the episode. This week's guest is using her ancestors' instrument to connect to people and community that consequentially transform the future. By the way, in this episode, the guest and I talk about suicide, and it reminded me that if you are feeling down and anxious and all that, I want to remind you that you are not alone. And please talk to someone, someone that you can trust and someone that will listen. Heck, you can contact me. I'll talk and listen to you. You know where to reach me, right? Since we got that all cleared up, let's get to the point. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is an award-winning filmmaker and a musician. She has a smile that glitters like gold and a mind that believes in the beauty of her dreams. Everyone, please welcome Jinji Saison. Hi, thanks for having me on. Hey, Jinji, how's it doing? Good. Um, yeah, I've been meditating more than last week, and so I feel pretty good right now. Yeah, you're so calm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you usually like this? Well, sometimes I get really hyper. And so, but then I, I know when I need to like kind of turn it down and off. Because sometimes I understand that my energy overwhelms people a little bit. <laughs> but, really? But, uh, yeah. So I, I'm pretty hyper most of the time. I just haven't had my coffee yet today, but I will later. <laughs> uh, it's kind of late. It's never too late for a coffee. Not for me. Mm. Past 12 in the afternoon, I won't drink coffee. Or else I'm going to stay up late. Well, I I have decaf usually because I'm actually sensitive to caffeine. But I do add like uh, lots of creamer. So that's my uh, advice. Yeah. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Yeah. And why why have you been meditating a lot? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the self-care practice that I've been um, connecting with the most recently, um, especially because I live in Silicon Valley, Mm. you know, in California. So the culture here is very much go, go, go. Mm. And so taking that time to pause and reflect is, um, is very necessary for maintaining your spiritual health. And I was even talking to, um, I'm not Buddhist, but the temple I go to, they welcome anyone. So I go there to meditate I was speaking to the head monk there, Master Chun Min. He was like, oh, you know, it's good you come here. Americans, they're so lazy to work on their their spiritual health, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. They're not lazy. They're scared. Oh, I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes like people are afraid that if they stop and pause and reflect on what they're doing with their life, they're not going to like what they find. But it's necessary to do that if you want to live the life of your dreams, you know? Mm-hmm. I call it the demon in the basement. Mm. You have to visit him once in a while. Right. And tell him like, yo, I'm the boss. All right? Yeah. <laughs> You're not doing anything. Yeah. You know, you got to feed him once in a while. But right. you have to make sure you tame it. Yeah. Have you ever seen The Babadook? Because it sounds like the plot of that movie. <laughs> Uh, no, I actually don't like horror movies. Oh, I love yeah. horror movies. 
Uh, you know, Filipinos. <laughs> you, you grew up in the Philippines. You, you believe in everything. Oh, well, so it, I didn't grow up in the Philippines, but you know, my parents would tell me stories like, you know, mumu. watch out for the mumu. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate the mumu. I, mm. I hate the mumu. And, you know, and I'm 40 years old and I do not believe in the mumu, but mm. just in case the mumu is there, I'm not going, you know? And right. it's so funny because... You know, I, like I mentioned offline, I, I have kids, and that's one thing I made sure that I'm not gonna raise them with the mumu. Yeah, it's traumatizing. <laughs> it's dumb. It's the dumbest thing. Yeah. You know, I don't know yeah. if it's based in uh, being colonized or mm. something else, or maybe it's just really in the Philippines, in the Filipino mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. or as my friend uh, Christian Kabuay says, pre-Philippines, mm. that. You know that maybe it's in our culture, like, hey, do not go wandering around because the mumu is there. Maybe the mumu is a representation of fear of the unknown. Hmm. Well, uh, that's a cool interpretation. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. Listen, I'm not the smart guy. Sometimes I come up Hi. things and like <laughs> pretend I'm smart. You know. By the way, Maayo mm-hmm. Adlao, and thank you for coming yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, come on because you, I just looked at all the things you were doing on your Instagram and I was like, wow, this is a really cool space you've created. And it's not just Filipino, although I do appreciate you know, the Filipino centric, you know, mm. podcast, but, you know, it's really cool that you're creating space for people, different cultures. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, but you know, I am biased. Most of the time, yeah. Filipinos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's what that's what we need too. You know, yeah. but it's funny because when I was starting, I had so much Filipinos, like guests, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say uh-huh. I don't know. I'll probably like seventy percent of my guests was Filipinos, uh-huh. and then I realized, like, man, I need to give voice for the other ones too. And I, like I said, like mm-hmm. I want. It's not really a Filipino podcast. It's like it's for everyone mm-hmm. podcast, but yeah. you know, Filipinos. You know, yeah, same blood, yeah. As I right. always say, like, that's my people. I can smell them. Yeah, oh, I smell them. What do, yeah, what do they what... smell like to you? I don't know. I just feel like, oh, I know them. They're Filipino. I yeah. can smell them. That's oh, yeah. my thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes my friend's like, what do you mean you can smell them? I'm like, don't worry about it. I know. Mm-hmm. Of course, sometimes I'm mistaken. You know, sometimes they're Cambodians uh-huh. or Thai, but right. most of the time they're <laughs> Filipinos. <laughs> And then it's embarrassing. You're like, oh, you're Chinese. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, am I embarrassed by that? No. You know what? No. no. I'm just no. like, I'm not offending you or anything. It's just like, right. hey, you look like my people, all right? Yeah, it's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, we're all close related anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? right? By the way, I forgot <laughs> to ask you. Uh-huh. Uh, why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram as Jinji, J-I-N-J-I dot season, S-E-A-S-O-N. And um, I want to give a shout out, as we were talking about mental health earlier for the mm. reporting, um, mm-hmm. to Fem High SF. Their handle is F-M-H-I-S-F, the Philippine ex-mental health initiative mm. actually got certified for free in adult mental health first aid through them and so if we're in the bay area would suggest would suggest checking them out and also i'm sure there are organizations that may be near you that also offer free adult men, adult mental health uh first mm-hmm. aid training yeah congratulations on that by the way i saw that uh, certificate that you got what do you mean by first aid mental it's not like they're gonna pass out yeah, right. Well, I think um, it's we're kind of like a almost like a mediator, or mm. like we're really just there to hold space and have a non-judgmental conversation with someone, kind mm. of assess like you know, at the most extreme case, uh, we were trained to actually ask the question, "Are you thinking about killing yourself?" You know, it's very every day. No, I'm just joking. Well, <laughs> well, we'll have a conversation later. <laughs> but, no, but, no, no, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, like, um, we're trained to ask that. Um, so in that case, if we feel like someone's kind of on the edge, we would then 
you know, connect them to resources that can help them further. So we're not supposed to diagnose. That's obviously that mm-hmm. would be like a mental health like professional. Mm-hmm. We're just there to kind of like be like a guide and like a resource in case people, you know, don't have those available like therapists in their area, you know. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's say me, I'm going through mm-hmm. whatever I'm going through. I'll just call you mm-hmm. up and like, yo, Ginge, you got to hook me up here, man. There's something happening in my mind. And you're just yeah. going to help me with the steps in some way? Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely like listen to you because I feel like, yeah, like a lot of people who get to that point where they're like, you know, where they're like on the edge, I feel like they're going to maybe commit suicide or something. It's just because, not just because what I'm saying, a big part of it is not feeling seen or heard in the Mm. way that they need to be. Mm. And so like being able to like intercept them at that like crucial point, like can, you know, be the difference sometimes between life and death. Mm. And that is something I, I did kind of personally experience in my own life. Like I wasn't the one who, um, luckily I've never thought about committing suicide, but in my own family, um, one of my younger family members, my nephew committed Mm. suicide a couple years ago and so that's kind of yeah and so that's why I wanted to do it because you know you you never know like when that might be needed Mm -hmm. do you feel guilty of him committing suicide and you didn't do anything about it that pushes you to do this more not necessarily guilty um because the thing is like we were close when I was younger and then we kind of drifted apart as I got older. But, you know, so if I had spoken to him during that time, like, I don't know, everything seemed, that's the thing. It always seems like on the surface, like people can seem like they're okay, right? Because we're so used mm. to putting on a mask in society. Mm. And so we don't really ever know what someone's going through. So I didn't really like recognize that. But, you know, I think that's why it's important. Like, I try to normalize those kind of conversations with people around me. Like, one of the first things I ask is, how's your mental health? How's your spiritual health? Um, Because I want, you know, to see, like, if they're okay. Yeah, definitely. How's your mental health? How would you expect someone to answer that? Like, I'm good or I'm balanced? No, like, yeah, if I'm asking that question, it's because I'm at a point in that moment where I'm ready to hear like a real answer. Because, you know, you know, like, you know, when people, when when you meet somebody, you're like, oh, how are you? How are you? And it's just like the perfunctory response, like, actually, they probably don't really care if you're like meeting somebody for the first time. But, mm. you know, I, you know. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know what someone's going through. And um, yeah, I just try to hold space for people when when you also have this space. You also don't want to, you know, deplete your own emotional capacity, mm-hmm. right? So hold space for people when you also have like a full cup for yourself. Yeah, that's why you meditate, you know, make yeah. sure you're good. Make sure you're good. Yeah. Make sure you're like, all right, I'm not uh, Mother Teresa over here, but I think right. I can help people. Right. Right. Yeah, it's not about, you know, <laughs> being like a, a savior or anything. It's just about, because like literally anyone can do it. Anyone, you know, just. I don't believe this. No. I disagree. You believe it. <laughs> there I are mean, some people the that are like, you're just evil. <laughs> Okay, with a few exceptions. People that care, though, you know, like, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, that's one thing I learned uh, um, is you have to know that the person that you're going to open up to is someone that actually is capable and caring and willing to hear, listen to you, right? Because you don't want to just right. open to someone and be like, yeah, stop being a bitch and move on. You know what I right. mean? Because that's right. instead of helping you, you're going to get hurt more. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, you have to be wary. 
Um, but I, I have noticed, like, as I think, I don't think it's coincidence as I'm at a point in my life where I've worked on myself in a way that I do genuinely love myself. Hmm. And because, you know, I love myself, I want to help other people understand themselves so they can also feel the way about themselves the way that I do myself. And so like, I've kind of noticed like in the past couple of years, even when I meet someone within the first like five minutes of me talking to them, hmm. sometimes they're revealed to me like, like their deepest, darkest secret <laughs> and like, you know, about their trauma, like, well, how did you get here? And like, why are you telling me this? And before I used to think that, you know, is there something wrong with me? But I, I think of it as a gift now. Mm. You know, somebody feels comfortable sharing that kind of knowledge. But I think you should see that as a gift that, you know, they feel comfortable and vulnerable. Like they mm. can be vulnerable and share that deep part of their life with you. Yeah. That's interesting what you said. Because there have been instances that people that barely I don't know are opening up to me. I think, and I think it's because they're thinking that, oh, this person, I barely know this person, he probably won't judge me. And if he does judge mm -hmm. me, he wouldn't tell my friends or my relatives or yeah. my family. Yeah. Yeah, they, they can feel like, they can feel that you have like a good aura. That's what I, what I think. Yeah, or sometimes they're just desperate to tell someone. Right. Which, yeah, in that case, you, yeah, definitely lucky to be there. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, okay, like offline, we're talking about, again, like mental health and men usually mm -hmm. push those feelings down. That's one of me, by the way. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> like, we were, especially Filipino being a macho um, culture that, hey, you got to push those feelings down, be a man, walk on till mm -hmm. you die, you know? Right. Speaking of that. Have you been speaking to men in your life, like your dad or your uncles or whoever, about sharing more feelings, opening up more? And have you been succeeding? Mm. You know, I think it's more so my guy friends. I think with my dad, there's still some like cultural barriers, <laughs> you know, not just a language barrier, too, mm. because like, you know, he's he speaks primarily Sublano. So there's... Mm also that disconnect and so I would like to have that conversation you know in the future when I feel like I've primed him enough and he is ready for it um but the good thing is that I had encouraged him to get therapy um mm. in the past and he actually listened to me and so I was like wow that's like a big win because you know even considering that I don't think he would have considered that like five years ago um but yeah I yeah I've had have have had conversations with like certain men in my life where I'm like you know you don't need to judge yourself for being sensitive like you're a human not a robot and I just try to remind them of that yeah Mm -hmm. you're not gay for showing emotion you know that's what right. how, that's how filipino would look at it you know like oh that's don't show emotion or else you're gay right you know but mm -hmm. that i'm glad that you're doing that work because like i said i'm we need more of that you know we need more people mm -hmm. uh saying that showing their emotion and saying their emotion right in a very positive not like in a positive way you know like something mm -hmm. that you can work on, not just like start punching people or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about it offline that sometimes I'll tell my, my friends or my, you know, my family members, like, I love you. And they'll be like, oh, I don't know what that, what is this? You know, they don't know how to absorb that message. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do they teach you that in your first aid class? Oh, not so much. I just... um. Like how to say I love you, <laughs> so, but mm. no, uh, it's just you know because like I said, my parents um, they grew up in the Philippines, so they were more kind of saturated with that culture, that mindset of not expressing your feelings. But mm. 
I think in a way that kind of pushed me to be the opposite <laughs> growing up in America because I'm a very expressive person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very easy to see what I'm feeling in the moment most of the time. And I'm very vocal about, you know, I'm uncomfortable or, oh, like, I'm really happy you're here, you know, like mm-hmm. that. And so I think, yeah, actually I had the, my parents being like that had the opposite effect on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously that's coming from a voice of privilege of, you know, growing up in the States, being, yeah. allowing your yourself to speak up, you know? Yeah. Speaking of family and yourself, I mm-hmm. saw that you wrote about racial imposter syndrome. Let's talk about that. Right. Right. <laughs> if, for the people that doesn't know what's a racial imposter syndrome. Yeah. So that's basically when you feel like even though like you may have, you know, Filipino blood, you know, feel like you are Filipino enough. For example, and that was kind of, yeah, like what I felt like, like growing up a little bit, like, and also like colorism had a little part to play in that because, you know, sometimes people will tell me like, oh, you're too dark because uh, I was darker when I was younger because I spent a lot of time in the sun. Mm. Um, but yeah, like through sort of like reconnecting my roots and you know once you learn more about history and you know what uh you know other parts of our culture i realized like actually it doesn't matter like i'm filipino Mm. that's enough i don't need to have some sort of measurement or you know some some sort of like certificate of authenticity to like present to anyone i know this is the culture i was born and raised in and I keep the Bionian spirit with me and mm. you know trying to make the world a better place and that's what really matters. I don't it's not about the optics of it or what it looks like to other people. It's what it means for yourself. Yeah. Hells yeah man. It doesn't matter where you're born you know, as long how how what do you feel? Right? Right. If you feel Filipino, yeah. trust me, I grew up in the Philippines. I moved here when I was a man. Mm. I'm more Filipino now than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, I yes, I mean, I speak English more. I probably has the way of the Western culture more. But trust me, mm-hmm. I'm more Filipino. I'm more proud to be a Filipino mm-hmm. more than ever. Because yeah. you need to take out yourself from the fray before you mm-hmm. see the whole picture. Right. You know? So you said you're growing up and going through racial imposter syndrome. What were the instances that made you like feel that? I think honestly a big part of it was the language loss. As I mentioned before I started recording, uh, Cebuano was my first language. Mm. Right? And then when I started going to school, my Uh, Parents thought that it would be difficult for me to learn English, so they decided to only speak English to me at home, Mm. and so I gradually, you know, uh, forgot it. I can still understand it uh, most of the time, thankfully. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think that was a big part of it. And so, you know, for any parents out there listening, I want you to know there's actually research that shows that if a child speaks a foreign language, it's actually easier for them to learn English uh, or another language. Hmm. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I like that you said that it was your mom who decided which language you're going to speak, right? Because I've mm-hmm. been noticing that, like I said, I have kids, and I've been mm-hmm. noticing that the mom's language is whatever she's speaking, that's what the kids are going to speak. It doesn't matter what the dad say. It's the mom what's what's going to decide. Like if it could be Spanish or it could be Mandarin or Filipino, Tagalog. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, you know. Because yeah. I speak Tagalog to my kids, bro. They just mm-hmm. look at me like I'm stupid. <laughs> they understand a little bit, yeah. but yeah. you know, since my wife yeah. is you know speaks English, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I try anyway. Yeah, try to slide it in. <laughs> <When> <laughs> 
<laughs> they know the, some words, you know, like kumot, yeah. like l- mm-hmm. little things. I don't know. Do you speak Tagalog or understand a no. little bit? No. Okay. Kumot <laughs> is blanket. Oh, okay. Okay. So like, like, oh, can you get the kumot? Like little things uh-huh. like that, you know? Uh-huh. And even it's funny, sometimes they'll use a word that is Tagalog mm-hmm. that they think is actually English. Mm, interesting. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not, you know. Yeah. Oh, you mentioned earlier about colorism. And you know how mm-hmm. Filipinos are. They're obsessed with yeah. whitening. Yeah. Have you read anything about it? And what's your opinion about it? Um, Not so much reading, just experiencing it <laughs> firsthand mm. growing up. I think, I mean, it's not... It's not even just in the Filipino community. It's, it is prevalent throughout the whole Asian community because I've experienced it from Filipinos as well as like lighter skinned, like Eastern Asian, Eastern Asian people hmm. as well. But, um, you know, one of the things I will never forget was uh, this one time this community healer who supposedly there were some sort of sidekick. Uh, she was an elder who came to our house Hmm. She had an appointment with my mom and <laughs> she was introducing herself to me and she was like, oh, you're so cute. It's a shame you're so dark. <laughs> like, and, and so me and my boyfriend at the time, we just looked at each other like, well, I can't believe we just heard right now. <laughs> That's funny. Growing up, when you were being you know, say that, oh, you're morena or you're too dark. Mm-hmm. Did you use whitening products though? I did not. Because even from a young age, I was kind of, I, I rebelled against that because I was always like very curious and I have my mom to thank for that because she encouraged my love of reading. So I was always like questioning things. As my mom would play into it too. She'd be like, oh, you need to stop playing in the sun too much. You're going to get dark and that's uh, ugly, you know? And so, so she would, you know, tell me that, but then I would question it. be like, why? What's wrong with being dark mom? And the thing about it too, that kind of, it kind of like made it hard to talk about with my parents is that actually I'm the one who got all the melanin. I'm the brown one. My parents are super pale skin. <laughs> like, so when I was younger, people would be like, oh, like Gingy, she's your biological daughter because we look so different. <laughs> You're the ampon. What does that mean? That means uh, d- adopted. Oh, right, right. Like they would have to do a double take. Like, is she really your daughter? Because like <laughs> you, you guys are white and she's like brown. How many siblings do you have? Actually, I'm an only child solo iha yeah that's so rare was that planned it wasn't planned my mom Mm. had a miscarriage during the loma prieta earthquake then she had me and then she had a miscarriage after me so Mm. i was a lucky one that made it out (laughs) and then after that she's like you know what i'm done we got one already (laughs) yeah yeah this you know. We got one pin in the ass, and she's actually Morena. I don't know where she's from. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, like, what, what happened? But, yeah. Were you ashamed of your skin, though? Like, I know you mentioned that you're kind of okay with it, but was there a moment mm-hmm. like, oh, I wish I'm whiter? I think, you know, it's been so long since I've been like in that mindset, but I think that. There probably was like when I was younger, maybe like nine or 10 around that age, because I would hang around my cousins a lot. And, you know, they would say something about it sometimes too. Like they would tease me, like, oh, haha, like you're so ito. <laughs> like, you know, kids don't know oh what they're doing. Right. But, um, you know, kids, kids can be a little mean sometimes. Mm. They, they don't understand. Right. And I think. That's probably the last time I really felt like that. Um, mm. And now, like, you know, I embrace it. I'm proud of it. I always say that it's a gift from the sun, 
you know our ancestors mm. used to worship the sun right mm-hmm. so i consider that a gift mm. um it's my heritage and i'm proud to be more in it hells yeah man i remember when i was young and obviously you know they're trying to attract girls and sh- whatever and i was like man oh am i good looking uh i'm not light-skinned you know i'm moreno oh. and i'm like and then i remember like you know what so what i'm moreno who cares mm-hmm. yeah i am who i am and that's it i'm proud of my color and i even like yeah. tell because i have friends and family members that like they use whitening cream or pills or whatever you know mm-hmm. and i'm like you know there are a million dollar business to make white yeah. people brown yeah <laughs> They That's will you. kill for our complexion. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. But however, it's based on colonial mentality, yeah. right? Unfortunately, yeah. like if you're not light-skinned, you're not mm. good enough. If you're not, um, what's the word? Imported. Mm. You know? Right. Also, I, however, I also read that I haven't clarified this if this is actually historically correct. But I'm going to say it anyway, because that's how uh-huh. I am. I shoot from uh-huh. the hip. That we also possibly got it from the Chinese as well. Mm. Because in China, if you're darker skin, it means you are low class. Because it means you work in the fields. And if oh. you work in the fields, it means you're not rich. Or you're not, you know, from the higher right. class. Right. So it also plays into classism. And I've even heard about that kind of culture in Korea, they, that's what they say too. Like, oh, if you're brown-skinned, it's probably because you're a peasant or a farm worker. <laughs> and yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really agree with that. <laughs> hey, to be honest, my grandpa and my grandma are farmers and I'm proud yeah. of them. I yeah. don't care. Right. You know, just, um, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jacob Ira, Mm. And he wrote a poem about like pretty much the idea is like everyone's saying like oh we're from the kings and the queens. Not everyone's from king and queens. Some are from farmers and you should be proud of that. Yeah, definitely. Like the Manongs and the Sakaidas who came to America. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly, you know. I mentioned in the intro that you're an award-winning filmmaker. All that glitters is bronze. I love that title. Thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, I gotta give props to that. Like, yo, Thank that's you. what's up, girl. Yeah, I love yeah. it. What's the um, inception of the film? Like, why did you decide to make one? Yeah, so actually, I was able to. That's kind of a serendipitous timing in my life because. Uh, there's a local media incubator here called Creative San Jose. Shout out to them. They prioritize media making opportunities for people from underrepresented populations. And I never made a film before. And I was like, you know, that's one of the one of the mediums I'd like to explore. And it just so happened that I saw they had an application for their documentary mentorship as a kind of like a boot camp for mm. making a documentary. And so in July 2021, I applied. Uh, They said around 45 or 50 people applied from the community. There were 10 spots, and I won one of those 10 spots. And so then we had the mentorship over the course of a couple months um, from fall through winter 2021. Hmm. Uh, They provided me a stipend uh, for the production of the film and you know, it was, just, it was a crash course in filmmaking, basically. And so mm. I, you know, at the same time, um, prior to that, I had just discovered the world of Guangzhou music. Uh, Guangzhou, for the listeners here, is a form of pre-colonial, pre-Islamic, indigenous Filipino music, mm. usually a traditional gong and drum ensemble, which is common throughout Southeast Asian cultures. Mm. And so I had just joined this band, and it was a really beautiful experience because I'm actually a classically trained musician. I have a degree in classical percussion, and I still 
playing with local ensembles and orchestra chamber groups when I have the time. Mm. Um, but I uh, transferred the skills to Kuantang, uh, and it was a really, it was like like an experience of coming home to myself through the music because even though I've had all this music training since I was five years old, I never read about this music in a textbook. I never heard any of my college professors talk about it or saw it played anywhere. And so mm. what I really wanted to do was, you know, create sort of like this love letter to the art form. And, you know, so there's Kuantang, but there's also the dancing and Pangalai and all these other traditional arts that go along with it. So what I say is that my film... All That Glitters is Bronze, which is a nod to Guantan Gong, which is a made of bronze, by the way, mm. um, is sort of like a glimpse of the cosmos. Mm, I love it. Where do you get the title? The title, yeah. So, you know, there's that quote, all that glitters isn't gold. Mm. So it's kind oh. of a play on that uh, because Guantan Gongs are made of bronze, but, mm. you know... It does sparkle. It brings me joy, makes me happy, makes other people happy. So that's how yeah. I came up with the title. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with that sound. Like it's not, it not in the Philippines as much, obviously, because of colonial mentality of like, oh, it's not cool. You're a weirdo mm-hmm. if you have if you like one of those. But I always mm-hmm. loved the sound. And I was watching one of your videos, your group. What's the name of your mm-hmm. group again? Kulintang Dialect. We're on Instagram uh, as K-U-L-I-N-T-A-N-G D-I-A-L-E-C-T. That's all right. (laughs) (laughs) I love I was looking at your eyes. I was like, don't fail me down, girl. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and one of the guys, like I guess he's your main guy, he was crushing it. I'm like, yo, what's up? Because, you know, growing up, I only Mm -hmm. hear it in a very um, classical way, like like the classical Mm -hmm. tune, you know? But the way he was doing like, yo, there's a twist here. Yeah. It's so amazing for me, like once an expert takes care of something, like you Mm -hmm. think like, you think like all the noises has been created. And then a guy Mm -hmm. like him that will come in and like, what's up, homie? I'm going to show you something yeah. else. Yeah, so that's actually our, he's the founder of the group, Conrad, mm. uh, Conrad Benedicto. He also wrote, I want to promote his book. He just released a anti-colonial Filipino fantasy novel about Guantan called Musalaya's Gift. And you can actually mm. learn more about that at our band Instagram I just mentioned earlier. But mm. yeah, so his project, Guantan Dialect, is about exploring what the Kulintang tradition sounds like with an American or even Bay Area accent because, you know, we live in the Bay Area in California. And so mm. we have, of course, we play homage to our ancestors with the traditional songs, you know, from Maranao, Maguindanao. But we also have original compositions that he wrote Um and we also try to promote those as well. So kind of keep it a balance between like the traditional forms and then the like fresh new uh, works we have. Mm-hmm. Is that the dude in the film? He's, that's the guy? Yeah, he's uh, the person I'm interviewing in the film. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Did I send you the film? I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I sent it to you. I think I saw it. It's okay. seven minutes long, right? Yeah, like seven or eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw it. It's pretty well okay. done, actually. I love yeah, it. Thank I love you. It. I, like I said, so I love, much. I love the part when the old lady was dancing. Yeah, a lot of people like that part too, and I think that the feedback I got from people was it was good to see the intergenerational connection because I mm. feel like a lot of times our elders they kind of get left out a little bit, and so mm. we really want to emphasize like this music is for the whole community and that's what i love about it you know even if you don't know how to play music you can get your chinillas or you can get like some bamboo sticks like how people do in the philippines you can join in and make some noise with us Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i i love the history behind it too who's the guy that brought it to the states yeah so that would be master 
Dandolan Kalandorian. Uh, we call him Danny for short. So he was the pioneer of Gontang music in the United States. And so we are just so incredibly lucky that out of all the places in the United States that he could have settled down, he settled down in the Bay Area. And he decided to plant roots there. And well, so, it's pretty an easy choice. It's California. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and it's the closest one too. Yeah. Yeah. And so pretty much, I also mentioned this in the film as well. Uh, anyone who plays Kuantang here in the United States, they're probably playing a song that Danny uh, taught someone else because the way that Kuantang, the tradition is passed down, uh, is a, it's an oral tradition. There's mm-hmm. no sheet music. And so you teach people uh, by rote, which is, you know, watching someone play and then you copy them and then you just practice a lot so you don't forget it. <laughs> okay. It's not written down. And obviously, mm-hmm. like I said, there's different ways. Let's say if I ever learn Kulintang, mm-hmm. I'm going to hit it in a different way. You yeah. know what I mean? So it means yeah. the original is really gone, gone. Yes. So thank you for bringing that up because I think that's an important point. So Mary Talusan Lancale, I hope I'm saying her name correctly. She's a Filipino, Filipina ethnomusicologist, actually attended an online Zoom seminar she had where she was talking about um, traditional arts like Guntang. And one of the points she made in the seminar was that traditional arts have to be allowed to evolve and transform in order to continue Hmm. and you know if we're going to be really real about it because you know i have encountered a little bit of gatekeeping (laughs) i'm not going to name names but you know um i want to say that like if we're being really real about guantang uh guantang was actually traditionally played by women only Hmm. uh so actually if we're trying to go back to the roots, all men should stop playing Kuantang. <laughs> but obviously, we don't want to do that. Why women only? Yeah, I actually, I don't want to, I don't know enough about why the reason that is. But I just know that traditionally, Kuantang started out as like being played by women. I'm not I'm not sure why that was. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned in that seminar, but, you know, I would... If anyone has an answer, DM me. <laughs> Let me know. Because <laughs> I don't want to give up wrong information. Oh, hell yeah. How many... Is there like five or six Kulintang? So, yeah. So, the Kulintang gongs, uh, it's a row of eight bronze gongs pitched from lowest to highest. Yeah. So, hmm. usually eight. So, if you're watching like some video on Facebook, because a lot of other... Southeast Asian cultures also have like a gong tradition. It might be confusing. Hmm. Um, you'll know it's Guantang because it specifically has eight gongs arranged in a horizontal row. Hmm. Is the Philippines has the most Kulintang, like the m- most lines? The 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 most like the most gongs. Where the most gongs? I don't I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know actually. I don't know enough about other. Southeast Asian countries to, hmm. you know, make a conclusion about that. Hmm. But um, yeah, I, you know, it's important to carry on the tradition because uh, there's not even like a lot of, um, I have been trying to research mm-hmm. a little bit, but this music wasn't even written about like until like 330 BC or something like it's it's very very it existed for a long time already even before historians started writing about it where did it come from Indonesia yeah so yeah it's also kind of controversial it seems like uh the origins of it um so it definitely came from like the southeast asian you know, Pacific region, mm. where exactly it originated. Everyone has their own theories. But what's really cool I learned is that, um, well, one theory that I like is that it evolved from a signaling tradition. Um, mm. So, for example, let's say like it's dinner time. This is when people, you know, live in like villages and stuff, you know. So you're over at your friend, your girlfriend's house and 
it's dinner time and someone over there has their own set of gongs so they would play a pattern and hmm. the person in the other village would have that pattern and they would know like oh that's a signal that means it's time for dinner yeah you it's know? time to it's eat like it's time to come home or else you're gonna yeah. get beat <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know how it is so it's made of bronze mm-hmm. can you buy kulintang anywhere yeah you can uh you can buy kulintang gongs uh, there are forges that will make them in the philippines but there are also heirloom gongs mm. which are gongs that you know that have been passed down from generation to generation um those ones you know uh you have to be very lucky to find them but i was very lucky because i actually went to vancouver <laughs> a couple months ago back in august mm. um because i post about kulintang all the time right and this is where the power of social media comes into play because i always you know put hashtag kulintang on different posts and this antique dealer in Vancouver, shout out to Emma, she's great. She DM'd me and she was like, oh, I saw your post about owning an heirloom kulantang set. Uh, you might be in luck. And I was like, oh, tell me more. And so she sent me pictures and videos. We talked about the set over the course of like three months. Uh, she was traveling. But you know, even with my music training, you just never know until you see an instrument in person. You know, I had to go there. And so I actually went to Vancouver, tested out the gongs. Everything was good. I brought it back home. And I actually didn't really know, you know, what era or what period it came from. But what's cool is one of the culture bearers here. She said that she estimates it probably came from Zambalanga and was made in the 1920s. So mm. that said, it has, you know, over 100 years old. I was like, wow. It's great. And I got it for a good deal. That's amazing. But how did she know that it's from Zamboanga and it's back in the 20s? Did um, she have a book that says like, hey, what's oh, up? Oh, yeah. So she's been playing Kuantang for over 25 years. And basically, when you look at the top of a Kuantang gong from a bird's eye view, you'll notice they have different designs and engravings Mm. on them. Mm. And sometimes the kind of design that's on there can tell you where, um, what region it originated from. And so I haven't studied enough to, you know, like to differentiate between the different styles, but, you know, I, she's been playing for a long time and she studied Mm. with, she actually studied with my master, Danny Kalandoyan. So, Mm. you know, that's, that's the conclusion she came to. Mm-hmm. Does it ever get out of tune? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like any instrument. And so I, that's one of the things I want to learn in the future, how to tune it because it's metal, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, like it's metal. Like it's not like a string or anything. So here's what, what you got to do. You got to get a hammer and <laughs> some like and you smash I, I, it you you get a hammer to tune it and i don't trust myself enough to do it yet even even with my my training um i i that's a whole other thing i have to learn in the future yeah i like it who introduced you to kulintang like what made you think that like you know what kulintang pretty awesome <laughs> let me learn yeah so i discovered it because I actually attended a uh, workshop in Manila Town, San Francisco, mm. uh, for people who may not know the history of San Francisco during the 70s. There was a thriving Filipino town, you know, Chinatown, Japan town there. And um, basically, it got hypergentrified because this real estate developer was like, I want to build a mall. And I can't wait for people park here. <laughs> so he's like, I want to tear down all these, you know, buildings and we're going to build a parking lot. Yeah. Mm. And so the good thing is that um, one of the centers there, Manila Town, Heritage Foundation, is uh, they kind of were, were able to revive it as like a cultural hub in, mm. in the Soma Pilipinas district, so we call it south of market. 
Um, and so they hold like cultural workshops. Um, you can even like, you know, have your kids come out, learn like, you know, Kulintang now. And uh, I was actually there for uh, Tiboli Smagi Ensemble Workshop. And that's a different gong tradition, actually. But there I met someone named Alexis who had actually been in the band I'm in right now. He was actually part of it in one iteration because it's gone through a couple different member changes over the years mm. and he saw like how I was playing and he realized like I had musical training he was like hey I'm going to this rehearsal tomorrow night with this band called Gontang Dialect do you want to come and watch I was like sure and then you know we ended up jamming the next day and and uh, Conrad is like yeah do you think want to join the band I was like yeah sure and so that's how you know I became part of it mm. what's the classical uh, instrument that you play yeah so percussion and I also worked as a piano accompanist until recently I was like I want to focus on kulantang <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, I am classically trained in piano and percussion so percussion if folks haven't uh heard of before it's mainly orchestral percussion like snare drum marimba or most people know xylophone marimba is mm. like a softer more warmer toned version of that mm. um timpani crash cymbals that's one of my favorite things to play <laughs> uh so triangle like, yeah try oh we play a good triangle so i should have brought it with me today <laughs> really it's a triangle like you know yeah Hey, you'd be surprised. There's a there's there's a lot of cool stuff you can do on triangle, actually. Oh, that I like I said earlier, like you put an instrument in a master's hand, it will blow your mind. Like I remember, I went to this um, uh, drum clinic. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know if you know like drummers. His name is Benny Greg Benny Greb. Benny Bre- yeah, Benny Greb. He's a German drummer. I mean, this guy is like mm. top level. Like, mm. this is like NBA mm. level kind of drummer. Ooh. And I was watching because you know drums. You hit the snares. You hit the mm. the the bass Tom drum. Tom you know, Tom you know, yeah. you know it, right? You know. Yeah. And this guy was hitting the sides. I'm like, mm. oh yeah, you can yeah. also hit the sides. Yeah, rim shots and all that. Like, yeah, he was so like. And it changed my mind. Like, oh yeah, you can do other things. Yeah. Do you play drums? No, I. I played a little bit of drum kit in college, just because like my partner at the time had a drum set. Hmm. Um, maybe in the future I'd like to play just for fun. But yeah, <laughs> playing with your feet—that's very different. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I mean, you're just stepping on it. You get the rhythm. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to know in your head, like, oh, this is what it's supposed to sound like. But to, you know, add the foot, that's like another limb you have to train, you know? Because mm-hmm. like you, oh, you, trust me. Even I though, know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, like, you play drums, it sounds like? No, like no, 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 no. Yeah. I would like to learn how to play uh-huh. drums. I do yeah. play the guitar or used Ooh. to play the guitar. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't, I, I you know, I, I like the drum solo when I'm listening to mm-hmm. music, you know, but I yeah. always, I knew I, I used to work for a company that deals with musical instruments. That's why I know timpani mm. and old xylophones yeah, and whatnot. Cool. I know the difference. And uh, again, like uh, I used to hang out with like drummers. I mean, high mm. level drummers. Mm-hmm. And it just like, it blows my mind. I'm like, man, like they're mm-hmm. so good. Like one thing that I learned that when you hit a, a cymbal, you don't hit it straight up. You have to hit it like a slap. And I, yeah, I get an angle. Yeah, an angle, or else you're just gonna break your you're just gonna break <laughs> your uh, cymbals. I'm like, wow! Yeah. I learned yeah. so much from that, you know. Yeah. So your film, you release it to different uh, festivals. How was that experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Because when I was working on the production for the film, and I knew we were getting a stipend, right? So I already had it in my mind. I'm going to do whatever it takes to push this film as far as it can go, because 
I want as many people as possible to learn about Kulintang, oh. you know. And so I've, you know, I was lucky to have it screen in London, in Paris. They love it over there in Southeast Asia, um, mm. India especially. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I, I was um, very much about the social media part of the marketing. Um, so for anyone out there, if you're trying to make a film for the first time, you've got a harness power, social media, um, it's really what it was. Because the thing is, you can make a great film, you know, unfortunately, I kind of realized because like the politics of like, you know, the film festivals and like the industry, what, what can really help generate interest for your film is the marketing. And so I pushed it and I pushed it and I pushed it. Um, shout out to Ryan Bueta over, um, uh, he works for Disney now, I believe, but he w- he worked for like a local media um, company in LA. And he was like, well, my boss saw your post by your film. I want to interview you. Uh, shout out to MDMC over on the East Coast, <laughs> who also gave me a platform to share about it. And so he was able to generate interest in it by really focusing on the marketing uh, end of it. Yeah, the sake part of making yeah. art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah. the hard part of it too. It's just like you create this beautiful art, whatever that is, mm-hmm. and then you have to sell it to people. And yeah. that's the hardest part. Because as usually an artist, he doesn't care about the business. He doesn't create mm-hmm. art for to make money. He creates right. art because... That's what the muses tells them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as an artist, you do have to be a business person because otherwise you're not going to have resources and funds to keep making more stuff in the future. But, you know, I think that uh, part of it too is that people can tell like, this is something I'm genuinely, you know, I'm passionate about and care about and, it hasn't been just a film. I also wrote an article about Guantang. I wrote, uh, published in a local magazine. Hmm. I also did a public art installation that I composed some original Guantang loops for. Um, and so, just trying to put it everywhere, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the, that's awesome. That's I saw a guy on Instagram. He, I think he's called Colint- Colintronic or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, he is amazing. Yeah, he actually used to be in one version of Guantang dialect before. And mm. uh, so that's Ron, Korean, and uh, his wife, Lydia, Korean. They have their own like sort of cultural hub where they have like jam sessions with Guantang and other musicians in, I believe they're in Honolulu now. I know they're in Hawaii. Mm. Um, so they're doing a lot for the culture. And so Ron is Guantanica. He does Kuantang infused uh, trance and house music, electronic music. And then his wife, Lydia, actually owns Daily Malong, which mm. is a fair trade, um, you know, traditional Filipino clothing uh, shop. Uh, and then they actually premiered uh, New York Fashion Week, I think, last year. Starting yeah, last I think year. I saw that one so, year. Yeah. And, uh, well... Mine is from somewhere else, but I do have I do have Malongs from Daily Malong. They're great. Check them mm. out. Yeah. We'll do definitely. And if, anyways, I think we're getting there. Actually, we're there. Do you have any last remarks before we close out, or maybe you want something to talk about that we didn't talk about? I mean, I I would just say that you know, growing up, I know if you're a twenty-something-year-old and or you're in high school and you know how Filipinos, they always want you to be a nurse or a lawyer, <laughs> you know, or a doctor, you know, the, the safe jobs. Mm. Well, you know, if there's anything in this pandemic, it's taught me security is an illusion. It's a facade. Anything can happen. I mean, look at what's going on with Twitter right now. <laughs> We're not going to mm. get into, not going to get into all of that, but um, you know, you have to do what feels good to you, what makes you happy and, you know, just follow your own path. No one, you know, no one can do it for you. And 
yeah, I don't, I wish I had something more eloquent to say, but yeah, just go after your dreams, basically. Wise word from a wise woman. Again, Jinji, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really, really do appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for holding this space. Um, really enjoyed talking with you and sharing. Same, same. Mayo Adlao. Bye. Again, Jinji, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate you. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Endo Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.